So we are beginning a new worship series today, as we've mentioned, and it is simply called Re, colon. Uh, each, each week over the next six weeks, we're taking on a different word that starts with re. So today, as you can see, we start with renew. Next week is relate, then it's recalibrate, remember, recommit, and then re revelation. We're going to be talking about the book of Revelation in that one. That will be an interesting week. Uh, the series as a whole, though, kind of the concept behind it, is that we are trying to spend this time, this intentionality, this change of season, uh, like the physical season and then the, the season in our lives, in order to reacquaint ourselves with the things that uh, matter most, the important stuff. And then as a part of this series, every, every series that we do, and part of that is the worship wall, but some of it is like the images that you see, we try to tie them to very visual things. Um, and, and so for this series, what we are kind of trying to draw your attention to and say this is representative of the re-series that we're in is a cairn. How many of you know what a cairn is? So a cairn is like, there's one back there, a cairn is this heap of stones that you might see in many different places. Often it's in like remote places like this, out in the desert, uh, high mountaintops, sometimes along the sea. Um, how many of you have seen a Karen, like an impressive one in real life? How many of you uh, are today years old when you learned that this thing is called a Karen? <laughs> I had no idea what a Karen was until about a month and a half ago when we started planning for this series. You might just know this thing as those pretty heaps of stones. Uh, often that you might see on like Instagram or something, people taking these really fancy pictures, just just like that. Um, and you'd be forgiven for thinking that's just a heap of stones because Karen literally means heap of stones. Uh, but they're more than that. They, they signify more than that. And what I want us to think about over today and the course of this series is, is that a, a Karen is like a physical representation and an acknowledgement that there are people who have come before us and there will be people arriving after us. So the function of Cairns, at least their original intent, beyond like Instagram posts, is that Cairns were sometimes used as like uh, these symbols of memory for people or important places that have come before. There's actually stories in the Bible where God instructs God's people to, to build something, and it sounds like a Cairn, and it's like to mark a gravesite or to mark an important place or an important thing that happened. But then on top of that, cairns have historically also been navigational tools. So like out in the deserts or on mountaintops or along seashores, places where there, there's lots of um, complexity to the weather environment maybe. Cairns, because they're made of stone, can stand the test of time. So that when you are navigating in a desert or a, a mountaintop or along the seas, these become markers so that you know where you're going. You know that someone has come before you, and you know that you're in the right place and maybe where to go from here. Now, one of the things that I've known about Karens, and that maybe you have heard about Karens as well, or these heap of stones, is that you're not supposed to do anything with them. You're not supposed to touch them. You're not supposed to make them. 
This is one of the things that I knew about Karens. And it is directly tied to that acknowledgement that there are people who have come before and that there are people who are going to come after. So you don't want to touch a Karen. You don't want to mess around with a Karen because it might represent somebody or something or a specific, even holy place. And who wants to mess with that? I know I don't. Uh, messing with a Karen might upset like the physical environment because they're big stones and so it might create extra erosion, it might mess with the ecosystem, probably don't want to mess around with that either. And then of course there's the navigational thing where imagine you are traveling in the desert and you're expecting a Karen to be in one place and when you arrive it's not there. Or it's there and it's somehow directing you in the wrong way. Or you find one in a place you're not supposed to and you think you're in the right spot, but really you're not. None of those are wins, right? Uh, so what I got in my mind, because this is, this is the one thing that I knew about Cairns or these heaps of stones, is that Cairns are bad. Why are they bad? Well, I did not do any research or, or uh, reading into Karens before, uh, before this past week as I was preparing for this series, as I was preparing for this message. So what I got was that they were bad. Why are they bad? I don't know, but I know they're bad. Why are they bad? Well, let me give you a couple examples of just some of the, the headlines of things that I read this week. The history of rock Karens and why stacking rocks is discouraged. These are like some of the first Google results. No, you shouldn't stack rocks on, on your next hike. What are rock cairns and why you shouldn't build them? And then Zion National Park discourages rock balancing. So some of the first results when you look for information about cairns is they are bad. Don't do anything about it. The headlines are all out there. And I thought it was hilarious that this image came up. It was one of the first images, too. It's really hard to see, but it's just a bunch of Karens, and it just has X's all over, every single one of them. You need a physical representation. This is what you're not supposed to do. Karens, bad. Drill it into your head. Now, like, that's a, that's a funny example, right? But there, there's several, um, many examples in our lives and in our faith lives where we get this, um, this negativity, this cynicism, this skepticism, this melancholy, like driven into our heads, that the world is not as it should be, that things are not as they should be, that we ought to be having these really negative feelings about the world and about faith, and they're often drilled into our heads by headlines, because those are the things that attract our attention, that keep our attention, that sell Interestingly enough, this, this negativity, this, this pessimism, this cynicism, this melancholy is also really well represented in the Bible. Uh, there is this specific set of books in the Bible, in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible before Jesus shows up on the scene, that's called the wisdom literature. Now, if you just hear that word, you, you might get the impression that, oh, this is where you're supposed to go if you want to become wise. You just read these books and you get all of the best information about what to think, how to live, what to believe, and if you just follow those, everything's going to go well for you. This is the wisdom literature. And there, there are plenty of people who believe and are convinced of exactly that. 
whether it's the wisdom literature specifically or the Bible in general, the idea is that the Bible is an answer book, that it's a roadmap, that it's an instruction man manual. If you just follow them, you're going to end up in the right place. You're going to know and do all of the right things. And, and yet what we find when we actually read it and we actually live into it is that that's not at all what the Bible is and not at all what the wisdom literature is. The Bible is a library of books assembled over hundreds of years that shows us what the life of faith is like in all of its messiness. In all of its messiness. And in that messiness, there are pieces of wisdom to maybe help us navigate that messiness. And perhaps the most messy of all of the places that you could go is the wisdom literature, and specifically the book of Ecclesiastes, which is what we're going to look at today, and Christy read from just a few minutes ago. So the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, just a couple things to know up front, is that the book of Ecclesiastes is anonymous. So it's written anonymously, there's no author claiming authorship of this book, uh, but pretty quickly it's, it's indicated, it's like you're supposed to think of a specific person or a specific type of person who's behind the writing and the wisdom of this book. And what you're supposed to think of is like the most wise person, the most uh, successful king even. So in Israel's history, this was probably uh, the great King Solomon. So as you read these words, the, the readers are supposed to say, oh, well, we need to imagine this is the, the great King Solomon who's writing these words. So Solomon, or whoever is, is supposed to be the voice behind this, is trying to pass down uh, all of his learnings throughout his life to his students, to all of his readers. And this is how it goes. I got to tell you the truth. This is the summation of the book. I got to tell you the truth. Life is absurd. We're all going to die, and it's God's fault. Woo! Great, that's the uplifting stuff you came for today. Uh, now, if, if you believe, if you are convinced that the Bible is a roadmap or an answer book, or an instruction manual, that's pretty problematic, right? However, if you are convinced that this is a library of books that shows us what the life of faith looks like, if you are open to a renewal of your understanding of what God is like and what the life of faith is like, if you are completely new to this whole church and following Jesus thing, or you have experienced the emptiness of something that has come before, if you are open to renewal, this is an amazing book to be able to pick up and digest and try to figure out what to do with it. So we're going to do some of that today as uh, a part of this message and then lead us into the rest of the series. And I'm again going to read this, the same passage, different translation that Christy just read. This is from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. And I'm going to have to turn around because my eyes are not that good. For everything there is an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. A time to be born and a time to die a time to plant, and a time to uproot what was planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, 
and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give something up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to rip and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What benefit can a worker gain from his toil? I have observed the burden that God has given to people to keep them occupied. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time, but he has also placed ignorance in the human heart so that people cannot discover what God has ordained from the beginning to the end of their lives. This is probably the most popular, most well-known passage of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Now, probably that is due in large part to a song that was written in 1965 by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. I was going to actually play it, but we probably would have gotten our live stream booted off of Facebook. So uh, just as a reminder, if you don't know this song, for everything, turn, turn, turn. That's as close as you're going to get to me singing in church. <laughs> there is a season, turn, turn, turn. And then it goes through the list, right? So this is probably why this, this passage is known really well. Another reason, though, is it works really well for being able to slap it on things as you're changing in seasons. So as you're changing in seasons of life or as you're changing in seasons of the year from like summer to fall, it goes really well on like Hobby Lobby artwork. <laughs> or on, again, an Instagram post that has like a steaming cup of coffee and a, like a decorative gourd behind it. So like, it's a really nice thing. And and some of the sentiment is the idea that, especially with that, that closing part, the sentiment is that God has done all of this. God has put all of this into motion. God is behind all of it. And so God's got this. This is a perfect example. That sentiment is a perfect example of getting the message right and the tone wrong. The author of Ecclesiastes is not excited about the fact that God has done all of this and that God is responsible for it. In fact, let's go back to those last few verses and read it with a little bit of a different tone, maybe a, a sarcastic tone. What benefit can a worker gain from his toil? I've observed the burden that God has given to people to keep them occupied. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time, but he has also placed ignorance in the human heart so that people cannot discover what God has ordained from the beginning to the end of their lives. So to translate that a little bit, God is responsible for all this. God has done all of these things. God has put all of these things into, emo into motion and we're just like keeping ourselves busy to kill time. We're not accomplishing anything. One thing that God has given us as human beings is an intellect, a brain that understands that, that, time, that there's things that have come before us, that there are things that have come behind us. We have an understanding of the movement of time, but we can't do anything about it. We can't change anything. We can't affect anything. Life is absurd. Again, the high-quality content that you showed up at church for. <laughs> but, no, like, no joke, this is the high-quality content that you should show up for church for. Why? One, because this is straight out of the Bible. 
And two, it is straight out of the Bible because it is an example of what the life of faith looks like in all of its messiness. How many of you have at one time or another thought life is absurd? How many of you at one, at one time or another looked at the world and said, this is not what I was told it was supposed to be like? How many of you have, have looked at the world and, and asked the question, is there actually anything that I can do to make a difference? Ecclesiastes gives voice to that. And church ought to give voice to that, to acknowledge it, to acknowledge that, that pessimism and that cynicism and that melancholy. Why? Because it's a part of what the, the life of faith looks like and also so that we can maybe do something about it. So maybe, maybe we can wrestle back some of our own autonomy, our own agency and say, yeah, we can acknowledge, we can acknowledge that this is the messiness of the world and maybe we can take the next right steps to actually do something that might maybe possibly bring renewal for ourselves and for our world. Because here's the thing, if, if we're able to do that, if we're able to acknowledge all of that stuff, if we're able to look at the, the cynicism and the skepticism and the melancholy and all of the reality of the messiness and still move forward together, we're basically undestructible. Like, what, what then is going to knock us down? Almost like a good old-fashioned cairn. So I am no, if, if you know my, um, my story at all, you know that I am no stranger to skepticism and pessimism and, and melancholy about life in, gen, or, yeah, life in general or faith specifically. It was almost four years ago exactly when I was, uh, had just recently wrapped up my, my previous uh, church plant where I was on the beach in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and my wife, Chelsea, who you just met a few minutes ago, asked, do you want to be a pastor again? And I said, I don't know that I do. I don't know that I do. It's just, it's just too messy. Um, so I get that. I get it on a very deep personal level. And one of the things that I became convinced of, that I continue to be convinced of, is that renewal is actually still possible. That acknowledging those difficulties, acknowledging that messiness, and believing somehow, some way, possibly, maybe, that renewal, personal renewal, communal renewal, institutional renewal are possible, drives me to keep on going. And so just a few months later, we started working with this idea in our heads, moved to Cottage Grove with this thought that maybe we can start and grow a community for people who are just like that, who acknowledge the complexities of life and want to pursue renewal somehow, some way, maybe, possibly, together, and to create a space for people who felt like they needed to leave the church or never felt welcomed in the first place. And the people that we imagined, some of them were like of the LGBTQ community, or they were, they were made very uh, explicitly that they were not welcome, they were not a part of, of a church community. Uh, for some people, it was uh, those who had doubts or questions or uncertainties about faith that were also clearly not welcome. Uh, for, for some people, we imagined people who were completely new 
to this whole church thing, but the barriers for entry, all the weird stuff that's going on, all the weird words that get used just become too difficult to enter in. And, and then we also envision these people who had young children, older children, who imagined something, wanted something that they would be able to hand down, that their, that their uh, offspring would be able to take and, and live into. Three and a half years later, folks, that idea, which started right here, looks like this. We're growing something. And it's incredible to be able to stand back and watch as this community acknowledges. We get to talk about this stuff from the stage, right? We get to acknowledge the messiness, acknowledge like the, the pessimism and the melancholy and the, the skepticism and say, you know what? We're going to do this together, though. We're committing ourselves and we're committing this community to believe that renewal is possible in our lives and in our world. There is a time for throwing away stones. And there's a time for gathering them. There's a time for building something that will stand the test of time, believing that someone is going to arrive behind us on the same journey. So as we move into this new season, this new season of the year, this new season of life even, may we embrace it as a season of, as an opportunity for, maybe as an excuse to believe that renewal is possible. May that be so.